uh, last week in preaching while I was out of town. I also want to say a word of thanks. If you were silly enough to open your home to our students, uh, bless you. I won't let you serve on one of our responsible committees because you have lost your minds, but I am so glad you've done that. We have over 120 students with us. They'll be in the multi-purpose room. We'll worship together uh, through uh, Facebook Live, and they'll take communion there. Plus, we have 15, 20 uh, college students who have come back, and as well as you chaperoning. So it's just been a great weekend. And as Ben has reported, we've had some people say yes to Jesus Christ for the first time, some people to recommit their lives to Christ and to discipleship and to taking up their cross. So keep praying for those students. It's been a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, not only has some wonderful things happened in their spiritual life, but as always, it's got to play out. And it's been great to see that our students, when they took the challenge for MADCAP this week through the gathering, through this uh, weekend, they were told, hey, why don't you grab some cans of food as part of our response. They didn't get 100 cans, 200 cans, but you'll see it in the atrium today. They get on social media. They started having people pay them, and they'll go buy this. We have like over 2,000, 2,500 cans of food that our students in response to this weekend will give to MADCAP. So they've thrown down the gauntlet, church. Uh, when, when we have a, 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 a way to raise cans and food for Madcap. Why the cross? Why the cross? Everywhere I've preached, I've done a series similar to this. Why did Jesus have to die for us? There is so much confusion about that that it's right that we take this season and just glory in what he has given to us. Listen, there's confusion about everything. Two weeks ago, somebody in our preschool in the three-year-old class asked the question to those students, who is the President of the United States of America? And the typical response to a question like that in a preschool and a Christian church is what? Jesus! That's right, the whole class in unison, Jesus. Well, then the teacher tried to help them, and she said, no, 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 no. Uh, we do have a president. He's not Jesus. Jesus is over our president, but his first name is Donald. Who is it? Duck. There you go. So look, we can't even get the president right. So we need to spend some time glorying in what is the, the, the greatest mo mo moment really in all of human history, that God incarnate would lay down his life for us. So over these weeks, we're going to look at some big, heady theories, but just glory in them. So if you're taking notes, there's no big notes today. But a but couple of words. One is a word that we talk about all the time in the South. I really don't even have to review it because so many of our friends have hammered this into us. When we think about what Christ gifted to us on his cross, we talk about the satisfaction theory of the atonement. So you want to write down that word, satisfaction, that would be the first understanding that we want to look at uh, today. A theological definition of that would be God incarnate renders infinite satisfaction for the entire community of the history of human sin. Christ's satisfaction, being infinite, was abundantly sufficient. Another commentary said, satisfaction is reparation made for the justice of the lawgiver. Now listen, you don't hear Jesus talk like that. Not much. Maybe John 6. He just talks about at least three different times in Mark's gospel. I'm just going to die for you. Part Why I have come has come so I could go to my cross and be a ransom for you. So you get some of hints of that, not a whole lot of talk of that, but it's important for us to first talk about satisfaction because we just don't talk about sin a lot in our culture. 
Bishop Swanson at a meeting I was called to this past Wednesday said it's one of the great gifts of the church is to give that word to the world that there is sin. There is right and wrong uh, because we live in a culture that sin is not significant. Everything's kind of gray and and if that's true, Wesleyan theologian Tom Oden would say, if, if sin's not horrific, if separation from God is not horrific, then forgiveness is a non-event. Who needs Christ to come and satisfy if, if sin's not a big deal? And what we see throughout the book of Romans, and I apologize, I'm not going to, normally I preach through a text, I'm going to be preaching all through one through six for Romans today, because we won't go verse by verse. But so, mu- so much of what that Roman road tells us is the hurdle and the cause for our alienation from God is sin. And so when Christ comes, he comes to satisfy and and to give forgiveness uh, from the justice of God out of love for us because sin is so horrible and it has to be dealt with. Romans 1 through 3 basically is saying to us, pagans, moral men, Jews, All of you, your righteousness is not enough. Your acts deserve and fall short of the glory of God and deserve death. And then Romans 3.21 through really up to through chapter 6 says, But through Christ there is hope. Romans 1 through 3, without Christ you're hopeless. Romans 4 through 6, in the cross of Christ, through his resurrection there's finally hope. We had a substitute pastor for a few months when I was in college. His name was Tom Cupid, a really funny pastor. But I remember, he was only with us for a couple of months, but I remember one story he told. I don't remember all the details. I was in college. But he he reminded us of Romans 1 through 3, that we're without hope except for in Christ Jesus. And it was a true story, and I can't remember when it was, early in the 20th century, they were working on this new submarine. I think it was called an S-4. It was just off the coast, and it was supposed to change the tide of things about how we did warfare with submarines. And it was supposed to be ahead of its time and be able to do all these things. And they were running all these tests, had a half crew on there as they were doing that. They were in pretty shallow water, but they went down as far as they could go, and then when they tried to come back up, they couldn't come back up. Matter of fact, that it's my understanding, at least when he told the story, that's, that's still there. Well, it was deep enough that they couldn't open it up and try to get up, that they're all going to die. There's no way to get up. But it wasn't too deep that they could run one of these uh, 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 rescue units out there of a guy. Remember, they used to have the hose that they would have on the, you know, with a big helmet you could breathe. It was that. They grabbed the guy literally, I think, off of Coney Island who was doing some, something, raced him down there threw him off this boat and says, go down there and see what you can see. Is there a possibility for a rescue? We don't think there would be, but go down and see. And so he was checking around the sub. He found he got all the way down there somehow. But what Tom Cupid went on to say was, as he was about to leave, realizing it was hopeless, he could swear he felt something on the side of that sub as he was looking at the doors or whatever. And what he, what he determined was it was Morse code. Somebody in there was just banging with all their life, trying to trying to say over and over again, is there any hope? Over and over. Now, he didn't know if they'd even be able to hear him, but he felt around to the bottom and grabbed a rock, and just as hard as he could, he just hit back. Jesus. Just Jesus. We're not getting you out, boys. It's hopeless. 
but there is hope in Jesus. And that's Romans 1 through 6. There is no hope in our good works. There is no hope in centering our souls. There's only hope found in the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who atones and satisfies our sins. And you see that throughout Romans 1 through 6. This kind of reminder again in Romans 1 through 3 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in Christ Jesus, there is hope. I like what theologians say about Romans 4 through 6 testimony. The satisfaction is said to be sufficient as functionally equivalent and superabundantly so. Jesus didn't have to die over and over again. As Hebrews says, he died once for all. That death was sufficient. It was functionally equivalent. And I love this phrase. It was superabundantly so. He satisfies God's holiness and justice. Sin is not swept under the rug, but it was atoned for, taken into the very being of the Son of God for us so that we could have forgiveness through his sacrifice. Why the cross? First is this understanding of satisfaction, but secondly, this other word if you want to write down, is substitution. We talk a lot about the substitutionary theory of, of the cross, and it's right for us to talk about that. Years ago after, well, just a few days after Katrina, our church decided to connect where I was serving, to connect with Long Beach. Jim Genesee was serving there. He and I were friends. And so we said, we'll, we'll adopt that area and we'll just start sending teams. So just a day or two out, we went to one particular house, Joanna's house. Joanna, it was probably about six houses up from the coast. And so the first four houses weren't there anymore. It's just slabs. The fifth one was a wreck, but Joanna's house could survive and did survive. And so our first day there, Katrina, just a few days after it happened, we just gutted our whole house. Pulled every rug out, gutted all the sheetrock because the water had come about four feet, five feet up in her home. The interesting thing about Joanna in that was when that first water hit, that first swell of water came through, her disabled hu husband was stuck in a hospital bed in her home. She was in her bedroom when it happened, and so she just basically climbed out the window, and she didn't run. She kind of swam to the front door and miraculously got that open to get her husband out. He was hopeless until she came and rescued him. She stood in the gap for him. And she would tell you in the letters that she would write back to her, our church, I couldn't have made it without you. As, as tough as Joanna was, um, to watch a team come in a couple of days after and do their work like that, and then to have two days after that happened, somebody break into her home and vandalize it. She was broken. But Long Beach Church, our church and others continue to stand in the gap for her. And I wish I could read you the letter she wrote that church. I left it for them about the day they rededicated her home and brought it back to fullness because somebody st stood in the gap for her just as she has stood in the gap for her husband at very great risk. That's what we understand, that Jesus Christ became our substitute. In the Old Testament, you would come to worship, and, and the father of the, of the family would bring firstborn male without blemish for sacrifice. What we forget to teach in that is that the father would have to put his hands on it. This is for me and for my family, for our sins. And the father would actually have to kill the animal, not the priest. This is on me. 
This is mine. And he fully understood that that was a picture of the Christ to come. That animal, that lamb, whatever it would be, would be a picture of the Lamb of God to come, Jesus Christ, who stood in the gap and took our place on the cross. This is definitely not my good works, atoning for my sin. Somebody else is paying that price and is being our substitute. Or as Paul told the church in Corinth, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You go back to Isaiah 53. All that beautiful language of the coming suffering servant of God. Eleven different metaphors. Here's some of these. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. This punish, punishment was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Laid on him the iniquity of us all. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was stricken. His life a guilt offering. Bear the iniquities. So many of these speak of the fact that he was our substitute. Theologians would say this. And beautiful elevated language. Christ vicariously and volitionally made substitution. I say it this way. He, he just he died for us. He took my place and he took your place. The full weight of human sin was therefore transferred to and deposited on the crucified one who gave his life for us. I don't think this is true, but I love this story. There's an entry in church history. We only find it once, so we don't talk about it a lot. But that Barabbas understood what was done for him. Barabbas, it's interesting that, that his name actually means son of the father. Um, interesting. And his first name would have been Jesus Barabbas, but we cut that out. Just like Jesus' half-brother Jude is really Judas, but we cut that part out. And we don't want to tie the name Jesus to Barabbas. But one church history uh, moment says that Barabbas was walking away and uh, he looked back. And he was the first one to understand what you and I understand so well, and I pray you understand it. Somebody took your place. What was due me, what was due you, that Jesus Christ on the Mount of Calvary stood in the gap for us. And that Barabbas, as he was leaving that town, free to do whatever he wanted to do, gazed back and saw the Christ on the cross and got it. There is someone there for me who took my place. Jesus Christ died for sin. He died to take our place. And so our response is one just simply of gratitude and of worship but also in our students this week, seeing that, yes, I worship. Yes, I lay down my life, but i got to do something with that. And, and, and Romans doesn't stop at 6, but Romans begins to spell out what it looks like to then let our lives be a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. How is it this week you're going to stand in the gap for someone else, a coworker or a friend, stand in the gap for your family, to defend uh, somebody? How is it you can... Um, not only receive what's been gifted to you, but do something with it. Do you know who helped us after Katrina? It was Kansas. Kansas people flooded Mississippi. Kansas Methodists. You know why? They know something about destruction. They know something about tornadoes. The wrecks in their life, they used it for the glory of Christ and to bless the body of Christ. You and I have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. He has stood in the gap for us. How is it we can take that good news and that gift and bless others with us, to lay down our lives for others, to gift them to others? Let's pray about that. Father, for this reminder of the goodness of your son, Jesus Christ, for us, a people who were hopeless, 
until he gave his life for us. We give you our praise and thanks. Bless us as we receive this meal now. Remind us again as we celebrate the great love and forgiveness that's found in Christ, but also the love that he has for the body of Christ. And may we live that love toward one another. It's in his name, for his glory we pray. Amen.